welcome back to Butter With That, a movies podcast hosted by a couple of friends who watch the best and worst of the silver screen and then have a conversation about what we liked and what we hated. Uh, this week, we're going to be wrapping up our discussion of underrated favorites. But before we get into that, uh, I have a question for my co-hosts here. So... This segment is called Unfocus Group, where we just ask a kind of fun, short question for people to answer in like 30 seconds. Can we do it? Yes. 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 All right. Okay. So what is the movie you turn to when you come home after a bad day and you just want to make yourself feel better? Um, I'm Connor. And my answer, without even thinking, is Best in Show. Yeah, yes. Christopher Guest mockumentary about dog Ooh, shows. Yes. I haven't seen that in so long. Um, this is a movie that my partner and I probably watch three times a year, like easily. Um, we own, uh, we should own it. We like rent it every time, but it's one of those movies <laughs> that we really just should buy. Um, every time, I always pick up on something new, which I think is a testament to like a great movie. When every time you watch it, there's like a new detail that you pick up. Uh, Jane Lynch, Eugene Levy, you know, star-studded cast um and this is just a movie that always really just like picks me up makes me feel really Alyssa and i my partner we quote it probably every week <laughs> some part of it so best in show hmm. i love that connor thank you but you failed step one which was 30 seconds that was that's okay i it's feel like 30 totally seconds okay. is also a rule that you just made up you're right <laughs> i did okay that was 50 seconds because i'm the host today everybody. sorry all right who's next uh, I can go next, and I hope that this counts, uh, because it's not technically a movie, but when I'm really down, I usually put on the BBC Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Okay, great. Aww. Because it is, like, technically, like, a mini-series, but it's six episodes, and I can watch all of it, like, at one time, but, like, I mean, it's Jane Austen, it's Colin Firth, like, everything about it's amazing, so... Elizabeth Bennet is my favorite. Um, yeah, so I watch that most of the time. So we were just talking about Jack Black and it made me think about how <laughs> turning on, I, I actually own a DVD that's half School of Rock, half Orange County. So this is maybe oh cheating, God. but like I would in a down moment turn to that DVD and be like the wonderful question, do I want to watch Jack Black shine in School of Rock or do I want to watch Jack Black shine in Orange County? And the answer is obviously any one of those <laughs> options. What a great know. double I think, feature. I think there's a series, like, Orange County Hardcore is the best of those two. But, oh, but School but of for Rock. Feel Good, School of Miranda Rock. Miranda Cosgrove is in it. Oh, my God. Joan Cusack at her finest. Oh, well, yeah, I'm Dave. Uh, producer and engineer I weigh in sometimes. You have a microphone I today. I do. Um, and because of that, my answer is going to be uh, Fargo. Mm. As your mm. feel as my, good movie, as my feel good blanket movie, <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's just the comfort uh, movie. It's kind of a, a dark comedy. Uh, it's very humorous, but uh, also uh, you know a lot of human drama and some great performances from uh, Steve Buscemi, um, from William H Macy, uh, from Francis McDormand. Mm. Uh, just across the board, I think it's a movie that I never tire of watching. So uh, it's it's sort of like a true neutral on my chart so I can watch that one anytime a true neutral yeah what does that mean that's on the orientation chart for a uh, D&D &D game oh sorry yeah well 
Come on, get with it, man. <laughs> damn it, you got to get on the campaign circuit, man. Damn. D20, bro. <laughs> All right, and I'm Sam, and I'm your host, and the movie I turn to when I need to feel good is What's Your Number? I mentioned this once before. It's one of my oh, of favorite course. movies. Listen, I love it. I love Chris Evans so much. And honestly, like he's not the best part of this movie. The best part is Anna Ferris. I think she's so funny in this film. And you can really see her sense of humor and her personality push through. So I love it. And I think there was a time in my life where I watched this movie every night for like two or three months. So you can tell exactly where I was <laughs> at that point. Um, but it got me through it so thanks a lot Anna Ferris and Chris Evans that could be another question what's a movie you've watched like night after night because I definitely have one of those yeah me too actually I have a ton that reminds me of the uh, Netflix tweet when they tweeted out that what was it like thousands of people have watched the the, the Christmas Prince for like 53 <laughs> nights in a row <laughs> About that tweet. Yeah, Pulse there was on the nation. Yeah, Christmas Netflix is like most watched movie, right? movie. Yeah, it was like a Netflix made uh, Hallmark Christmas movie called it. It's so Alyssa and I watched it. It's so bad, but we like watching bad Hallmark Christmas movies. Neil Patrick Harris with Rob Lowe is in a great one. That's a sequel to the Christmas Shoes. I was just about to say, have you seen Christmas Shoes? It's the sequel, and Neil Patrick Harris is the grown up kid. Tell me yes. it's not based on that song. May I buy these shoes? Yes, no, my mama, it please. Is. Yes, it is. But this is the sequel to it. Uh, I believe shit. that Christmas Shoes 1 is definitely <laughs> deeply connected to the song. It is. In the um, Christmas Shoe 2, they find the mom's shoes in a dumpster. <laughs> No. no, that is spoiler. That takes me to a low, low place. It's I've a never blue seen Christmas, these movies, man. And I'm heartbroken. I have no idea what's happening right now. Yeah, same. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks everybody for your responses. So let's get into the thick of it. So uh, this month we've been talking about our underrated favorites, and it's finally time for us to wrap it up. And it's time for my favorite, which is a testament of youth in uh, 2015's version. Uh, testament of youth is based on the memoir of a woman named Vera Britton uh, by the same title. Uh, it came out, like I said, 2015, starring, gosh, I never know how to pronounce her Alicia name. Vikander. Thank you. Also, Kit Harrington from Game of Thrones. I will say it was super unsettling to see him without facial hair, but we'll move on True. from that point. It was weird. <laughs> it certainly was. Um, okay, so the way this discussion works is uh, everyone has different parts. So I'm the host, so I brought the movie. Connor watched the movie, so we'll hear his thoughts in a, a minute or two. Tori watched the trailer, so she'll actually go first. She's basically going to tell you what she thinks the plot of the movie is based on the trailer. And then we're going to flip right to Christine, who read the reviews, and give her interpretation based on just that. So, Tori, take it away. All right. So, based on the trailer, I... I'm not going to lie, I was a little disappointed because the trailer starts off with, like, she's this, like, young, tough, like, feminist who's in the wrong time period, and she's like, I want to be a writer, and her family's like, no, that's dumb, and then all of a sudden she falls in love and there's a war, and, like, it never comes back to her being independent or a writer ever again, so I was just like, okay, well, fuck that, right off the bat. Uh, but, like, my favorite is just, like, in the trailers when they have, like, the words come up for different parts of it. And one of the first ones is, like, but then war changed everything. And I'm, like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine of course that. it does. Doesn't That's it kind always. of what war does a lot of the time, just saying. 
Um, but it mostly brought up a lot of questions for me because, like, obviously I like Kit Harrington because I like Game of Thrones. Her specifically I like because I thought she was amazing in Ex Machina, which also has Oscar Isaac, who, like, I think mm-hmm. we should probably just talk about Oscar Isaac for a whole episode one time. Don't discount likes. Donald Gleeson. Um, yes, true. Also very good, but Oscar Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Um, you can't but... see the other stars when the sun is out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I feel, yeah, exactly. Um, but I feel like I was interested with her being these two characters because I do feel like they are these like stronger like female characters in two very, very different movies. But at the same time, it does give off this whole, like, okay, so she falls in love, and he goes off to war, and she kind of, like, becomes a nurse from what they showed in the trailer. Uh, but I kind of don't know what, like, her character is really doing, or, like, what's the the arc, like, is she, does she become this, like, independent, modern, feminist woman that she kind of seems to be at the beginning? Or does she fall in love and, you know, just become boring? <laughs> <laughs> Or just like falls into like her gender norm roles for the time, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it just like left me with questions as to like I really don't know what this movie's about to like be about. Almost like you want to watch it to get your answer. Um, maybe. <laughs> All right. So, anything else you want to say about the trailer? Um, no, I think that was pretty much it. I thought like the there's a, a part where they I think it's like maybe the secondary title where it just says like something about the lost generation, which is interesting because it's World War One, correct? Correct. Yeah. Which yeah, like obviously like from a historical standpoint, being a huge like history nerd, like shit tons of people died in World War One. Spoiler alert. So like <laughs> I was like, yeah, about like, hundred years that's later a total, that way. <laughs> that's a total thing. Like yeah, like tons of tons of people died, and it definitely created these weird dynamics. So I hope like that is something that's, like, delved into more. Most certainly is. Okay. Um, all right, Christine, what are the reviews saying? So definitely reading the reviews made me want to watch this movie. Interesting. Because um, two major questions uh, that I saw come up in a lot of the reviews I was reading was, one, uh, what makes a quote-unquote good war film? So hmm. does a movie need graphic depictions of... of like battle footage to portray um, the intensity and devastation uh, and atrocity of war and like this huge di- like sense of loss. Do you need those intense bloody scenes? Um, and can a movie not focus on battle scenes but yet still convey this sense of, of devastation and loss? Um, and the second question that those, so those were like too many questions. The second big question that I thought that the reviews brought up was what makes a feminist war movie? Um, and how are women's stories depicted in what I would generally assess as a sort of a male-dominated narrative, especially when you're looking at like World War One, when a lot of the people on the front lines were males and you have like stories, you know, all quiet in the Western Front, like this classic World War I tale told from a male perspective. Um, And so two reviews that I thought had basically fell into, I I guess two reviews that showed or answered these questions and were in two different sides were Stephen Holden's review in the New York Times. And Stephen Holden had actually a very, very thoughtful, positive review of the movie. And in his mind that it was, the, the fact that the movie omitted a lot of the 
uh, intense battle scenes from World War I was actually a successful choice. Um, he said, quote, it evo the movie evokes the march of history with a balance and restraint exhibited by few movies with such grand ambitions, and that the movie is stronger for having no battle sequences or scenes depicting courage. Uh, while on the other hand, um, this reviewer from the AV Club, Keith Ulrich, said that combat act, quote, combat action is mostly absent, though this seems less an artistic choice than a penny-pinching um, shortcut. So you see two, I guess, takeaways from uh, the fact that the movie doesn't have a lot of battle scenes. And then the second question, the idea of the complexity of Zavira's character in what could be talked about as a feminist war movie. Um, Stephen Holden's review said that the movie never asks us to regard Vera's character, the character um, Alicia Vikander plays, as a swoon-worthy angel of mercy, but as a tough, smart woman of action who chokes back her fear and revulsion to do what must be done. At no point does testimo uh, Testament of Youth coddle her with misty, soft, focus photography, which I thought was a really thoughtful assessment of the handling of a female character in sort of this male-dominated narrative. Can you read um, that last part about how she was shot in? Uh, so, shot in. yeah, so at no point does Testament of Youth coddle her with misty, soft, focused photography. Um, and then, on the other hand, uh, this guy, Keith Ulrich, said that, quote, there should be some charge to witnessing the character's slow moral awakening, but director James Kent barely gives the material a pulse. Now, something that, the last thing I'll say is that also reading a lot of reviews about this movie made me very much aware how male-dominated the movie review industry is and how it was actually very challenged or hard to find a review written by a woman that were once some of the top-rated reviews on like Google or on Rotten Tomatoes. So those are sort of two questions that were brought up for me um, and two responses to those questions. Um, and like big takeaway, the debate definitely makes me want to watch the movie. So I'll be curious to hear what Sam and Connor have to say having watched this movie. Well, now I feel bad being a white male about the white male about to talk about this movie. Yeah, that's why I'm so <laughs> glad you picked it because I was like, I'm going to tear him apart. Because <laughs> um, anything, you're just like, well, you're a white man. <laughs> yeah, well, you're wrong. Christine, you and I are jiving on this movie so hard, and I'm so glad because everything you brought up were points that I wanted to make sure that we hit. Um, but before we actually get into Connor talking about his experience with this movie, um, I just want to give like a brief synopsis of the film. I think we've kind of hit it a lot, but just to kind of make a succinct point. So Vera Britton and her brother and her best friend and her eventual fiance are all growing up together and are all about to embark on this really awesome college adventure um, when World War Two, uh, <laughs> nope, spoiler. World War One, <laughs> spoiler, yeah. World War One starts, and eventually they all sign up, they enlist, um, and in a different part, she loses them differently, and um, 
she eventually works like so hard to get into Oxford or the, the female version of Oxford back then. Somerville. Somerville, right. Um, and she eventually leaves her position because she feels a calling elsewhere, which is becoming a nurse. Um, and she feel, she faces a lot of ridicule in this decision, um, both from her tutor, her professor, who's like, you're throwing this education opportunity away. Do you know how hard women have to work to get here? And you're going to throw it away to be involved in some war that's going to be over in a month? And she says, this is my duty. I have to do it. My brother's serving. My fiancé's doing it. Well, at that time, I don't know if he's her fiancé yet. But spoilers, they eventually... They love each other. They love each other. They get engaged. Um, and so when she becomes a nurse, even the people there are like accusing her of coming from this ivory tower, this countryside. Of, they literally say ivory tower. They literally do. This countryside wealth. And they're like, well, you better get used to getting your hands dirty. And Vera never once backs away from that. She takes it full on, even when she's thrown into it, which is just... You said something in your review, Christine, or um, someone's review of like, well, they never show moments of like courage on the battlefield. And I wholeheartedly disagree because mm. Vera shows it every single scene that she's in. That's interesting because how is Stephen holding uh, depicting the, like what does he consider the battlefield when we're talking exactly. about war, like war that expands far beyond like the mm -hmm. front lines, which, which is, is why, an interesting distinction. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up the fact that um, these reviews weren't written by women, so weren't written by people who have these experiences. Um, and I'll let Connor, if he wants to, bring some of these things out. But eventually, and, and, and Tori, I kind of want to touch on your point, too. When you're like, well, it just sounds like she falls in love, and then she lets go of these dreams of being a writer. Well, um, this movie is my underrated favorite because, question, did any of you hear about this movie before I brought it to the group? I haven't, I've not I have heard not. the memoir either. I had heard about it, but yeah. So it is one of the most well-read memoirs of World War I in Britain. Yet I had never heard about Vera ever before I just on a whim watched this movie. I actually watched it because of Taron Egerton, who's in this. Um, I knew him from Kingsman. I was like, hey, this is World War One. This looks good. He's Which really, man he's really good life in life does he play? He's the he brother, right? Brother. Okay. He is her brother, and I would argue the best relationship that she has. Um, and I was blown away by this. It is a story that all, seemingly all British people know, but I had no idea of. And it also represents a story we never hear women and their war efforts. We hardly ever hear it. Um, but kind of turning this over from synopsis and also my very clearly strong feelings about this movie, Connor, I kind of, I have a few questions for you and also a few questions for the group, mm -hmm. but kind of want to slow ball you on this one. <laughs> What'd you think of the movie? Um, I think it's ambition is very high. Uh, but I think for me watching it last night, I had a hard time getting into it for most of the movie, it kind of came up kind of nicely because I'm reading a book called The Unwomanly Face of War, which is a sort of um, self-described sort of documentary, um, documentarian literature. It's like um, this woman from Russia who was what we would call a baby boomer today kind of goes to all these Russian towns and talks to these women who served in uh, World War II and like over a million women served in the Red Army. So it's these like little vignettes of all these women and some of them were nurses or tank drivers or like mechanics and all these kind of like different roles, infantry as well. So it was like kind of cool seeing the overlapping of somebody 
trying to take a memoir and putting it in the film and also kind of me reading this book it's you know on the side talking about women in war as well um i think it was just i had a hard time connecting with the characters at first like i had a hard time i definitely was with alicia vikander's uh, vera character but i felt like it has a problem that a lot of biopics have because it basically is sort of like a biopic it absolutely of is. vera's life is that it has to move through everything so fast, even though it's only covering 1914 through 1918. Really, it's only four years, but everything kind of has to move so quickly. And I did really like at first how she was like her dad. So the, actually, I'll start with the movie opens. It opens with Armistice Day, 1918, when the Germans sign that they're you know going to end the war. And she's like running through, I assume it's London. She's inside of like a church and everyone's cheering and she's super upset. I assumed at that moment that Kit Harrington, who plays Roland, her fiance, has died at some point and other people have died in her life as well. And then she stares at this painting, this like kind of creepy, uh, kind of reminds me of Goya, um, his like black paintings that he painted with like Saturn devouring his, like all these kind of like really dark paintings of like people like drowning in water. And throughout the whole movie, there's this theme of drowning in water and mud mud and water is every house that she goes into has water paintings inside of Interesting. it. Um, so it opens with this in 1918 and flashes back to 1914, sort of setting the scene with, Oh, her and her brother and her friend, Victor who likes her, but she doesn't really like him. But and I then, don't think that's a major plot point. No, but just like, this is how it opens of like, Oh, her, you know, idyllic country life, her brother and friend are home for the summer. Kit Harrington's character kind of rolls in and I guess he's their friend too. And so it kind of like sets the stage and then she goes in. It's like, oh, there's a piano delivery. And then her dad buys her a piano because she d he doesn't want her to go to Oxford or Somerville, which is like the women's college um, for Oxford because women couldn't go to Oxford in 1914. And so she's like, dad, I don't want a piano. Like, I want to go to Oxford. And so a lot of times she is confronted by people who are telling her no. But I feel like the movie kind of very quickly, it's like a scene where it's like, no, you can't do this. A scene, scene. Okay, you can go do this. She does stand up for herself and does want to do these things, but I wish that there was more time with her talking to other people. Like a lot of the movie feels kind of very like plot focused of where she kind of moves from location to location. And she definitely is this like admirable character. Uh, but I wish that there was more, a lot of interaction in the movie is like voiceovers with like her letters to Roland and Roland like not sending him letters and poetry and writing is a huge aspect that I feel like kind of gets like dropped away as kind of the film goes on. Uh, but for me, what really, when the film kicked in the high gear is when she, cause he tries to be like, goes to school and then she's a nurse in England for vets returning. And then she wants to go to the front to be close to her brother after Roland dies. And I'm sure we'll get to that um, later. And there's a scene where she kind of like, uh, first she's like, has to take care of these German officers who are captured. Can I interrupt one second? Sure. This movie also stars Haley Atwell, who I love so I much. Love her too. Okay. She's this kind of like happy-go-lucky nurse Who's in France. Who's um, She's um, Agent Carter in the Marvel movies, uh, Captain America. She's also been in some other British stuff as well. She's an, inc an incredible actress. Mm -hmm. uh, most recently, she was just in uh, Christopher Robin. She played Christopher Robin's wife. Yep. Um, she was in Howard's End, the miniseries that they did. She's phenomenal. Yeah, so her character is this like, this is everyday normal. She's kind of like bubbly, even though there's... there's gruesome amputations and people bleeding out and all these terrible things. So when she's in France, she has to like, she feels uncomfortable taking care of these German officers that were captured because she thought she was going to take care of English soldiers. And so when she kind of gets to that point, has to confront 
this idea of like having to help everybody. Then I think the movie kind of starts to kick into high gear. Uh, a couple days later, she like walks out and it like the camera zooms out to this wide shot of hundreds of British soldiers just like lying amputees in pain. Says like, oh, like someone was calling your name, but they were just delirious. His name was Edward. He's nobody. But she's like, that's my brother. Runs to find him. Just piles of dead people. Sorry to interrupt you here. Yeah, go for but it. This scene was repeatedly referred to in most every review I read as um, some depicted it as a an homage to this uh, scene from with gone with the wind in which I, I can't, I've seen it, but I can't recall this particular scene, but apparently it's an iconic, they call it a um, crane shot yeah. where you, uh, do you know what scene from gone with the wind I'm talking about where it pans out, at least from the descriptions, yeah. I understand it pans out and you see the devastation. Yeah, of dead, you bodies. See the dead bodies. Yeah. Yep. Some reviews said that it was this homage to it. Others said that it was, basically a ripoff of like gone with the wind <laughs> which it, it was interesting that this that one scene you de- that you're yeah. talking about um was mentioned as either you know a successful depiction of of death and connecting back to this classic versus like like ripping off that scene and basically recreating it did you did you feel like depictions of like the aftermath of war got you into the grit and intensity of the conflict. So there's a lot of, and I was watching this with a few friends, kind of somewhat humorous, like World War One exposition. Like you'll see a newspaper on the side that says Archduke Ferdinand shot. And you'll see like Germans invade Flanders. So there's all these like, kind of like exposition. It's timeline. It's, it's timeline. giving you a timeline. And so... I really didn't feel it then. And she like grabs the newspaper looking for her brother and like the list of dead are in there and starts to rain on the newspaper. Then goes to like Kit Harrington's character, like in the mud. So there's kind of like moments of that, but it wasn't until that like crane shot, as you were calling it until I really felt that that was like portrayed. At least I felt mm. anything about it, like in the movie itself, which that's about two thirds. That's, that's probably with like 40 minutes left in the movie. I think. I just find this so interesting because Vera is a character that I see myself a lot in. I think she's like really stubborn and she has like a like a solid head on her shoulders but can also be like like given two flights of fancy like how she just falls in love with Roland and that way and and, and everything else like that. But um it it's just Watching her read the newspaper and looking looking for mm-hmm. pe- like names that she remembers for me like that was the moment where it felt real because like in in the earlier in the film they're like this is gonna be a short war it's gonna be a month it's gonna be two months and you keep hearing them say oh it's only gonna be four months five months and then you're seeing people come back from the war and they're you know missing parts of their body they're very clearly severely injured and you recognize that it's more severe than anyone thought and so having to look through a paper to see if any of your loved ones are missing and knowing that there's not a lot you can do is like the most heartbreaking gut-wrenching feeling in the world at least I feel but but go ahead I mean I think this movie is shot sort of very typically period piece, kind of like romantic swept away. And I mean, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no, like I love, that's why I had you repeat that review um, just because it was, or about like the soft focus or whatever it said, because it definitely is like realistic kind of filming, 
but it just felt like everything had to like nothing was kind of stylized in a way like it was like okay this is biopic showing these kind of things in a sequence happening to vera and i wish that there was just like more back and forth with her and other characters the most you see that with is her parents but then the parents kind of like fade away once she goes to college but i think one of the best scenes in the movie is when she goes back because yes. her mom has called her back and she's like I assume she's in London or in the South Coast and probably had to travel hours by train to get back home um, from, like, the hospital she was working at. And it's like, Mom, like, what's the emergency? Like, she was at the front. She was in France. Oh, she came back from France then. Mm-hmm. And then the mom's, like, having a mental breakdown because, like, um, everyone she knows has, like, been dying. And then there's this really, like, sad scene where it's just the three of them eating, like, broth. Yeah. Broth at a table with, like, meat chunks in it. Because there's no eggs, no mm-hmm. um, meat or milk or really anything throughout the town that to buy. No groceries because it's all been rationed off to the war. So I think there's like moments where I definitely felt like connected to her and her plight. But it just seemed like she says no and then she kind of gets her thing. I wrote down, um, so doesn't want the piano. She wants to go to Oxford. Then eventually, you know, the next scene she like convinces her dad to go to Oxford. Dad doesn't want the brother to go to war. She talks to her dad. Brother goes to war. Um, doesn't want to be an academic once she's in school. She talks to the nurse, or um, she wants to be a nurse, talks to the um, like headmaster, I guess, or her professor there. It's like, well, I'm doing this thing. Okay, go. Like, So I just wish that there was more, I guess, like dramatic conflict in a way. Like, it felt sort of very just like biopic like biographical, uh, going through this memoir. Yeah, sorts. I guess it's sort of hard when you are working from a classic memoir that was written in 1933, mm-hmm. um, which I have read, and it's great, and there's definitely more in it than what's in the movie. And I think I would love to read, like, watching this movie was like, wow, I would really love to read the memoir. Yeah. Because um, afterward, like, after the, before the credits roll and fades to black, it's like, um, Vera Britton became like one of the leading feminist pacifists in the 20th century, mm-hmm. wrote this beloved memoir. And I was like, wow, that sounds like really interesting. But you only hear about her direct pacifism at the very end of the movie when there's because this like, it's not so much. Yeah. And there's this like town hall debate between like people who want Jeremy to pay for what they've done. And then the Colonel or major Sergeant character who her she met earlier, hu- her eventual, husband. Oh, she married him. Yeah. Um, who she meets earlier, who tells her about Roland's death, is like, well, we shouldn't continue this cycle of war because if we make them pay, then eventually they'll rise up and want to make us pay, which is exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, so, and at the end, she like stands up. It's like, I was a nurse. Like, I treated Germans. Their mothers were crying just like our mothers are crying. And I wish that the movie was like, instead of taking the four years, was just like, it picked a more specific moment where that change happened. If that makes sense. It does. It does. And I think what the movie tries to do is take the moments of courage and bravery from the memoir and show you those like distinct moments. Um, but there's other things that I want to get to, Connor, and I want to bring everyone else into this, is the idea of a strong female character versus a dynamic female character. Uh, this movie is a little bit different because it is based on a real life woman who has all the greatness and all the flaws that humanity has. But um, 
when I say a strong female character, I feel like a good example is a character who is written by Joss Whedon, right? Um, Joss Whedon, feminist of the 1990s, then has subsequently sucked providing for female audiences since. Um, I'm thinking of Black Widow in a big way. <laughs> um, so a strong character who shows no personality whatsoever um, versus a dynamic character who shows all the intricacies of being a woman. So what do you think about Vera for Connor uh, seeing the movie? And then for Tori, Christine, Dave, if you want to weigh in as well, which characters do you find the most compelling and the, the movies that you want to see with those people? Like, do you just want to see a, a female character just straight up kicking ass and not really showing any other kind of sides? I think there's space for that or other kinds of female characters. I mean, I think definitely always looking for dynamic characters. And I wish that there was more opportunity for her dynamics to sort of show in this movie because Alicia Vikander and I just like looked through Rotten Tomatoes after watching the movie just kind of like the reviews on there and like everybody's like praising her performance but I definitely think is like she definitely has a huge range um, definitely is the heart of the movie and does a great job in that role I just wish that that dynamicness of I want to be this writer but I also want to have this duty and that's the movie kind of plays with like a lot of types of movies that it wants to be like it's part love story, part war movie, part anti-war movie, um, all these sort of different things. I think it's trying to be. When maybe if it just kind of focused down on like one or two of those, and just kind of more character obstacles, like obstacles for her, and like obstacles like a plot sense of like sh her father is saying this. They have one conversation. She overcomes it. Like I felt like. She's very smart. We were told a lot she's smart. She has no tutor for the Oxford exams, which I guess at that time was like a huge deal. Like everybody had a tutor. Kit Harrington, who's going to Oxford, says, oh, I'll tutor you. And she's like, I can do it myself. Mm -hmm. um, so there's like some moments like that. But I wish that we just saw more of those kind of dynamics. Okay. And Tori, Christine, I think a better question for you guys would be, do you think that um, there is that difference between strong and dynamic female characters? And... If so, do you think that having strong female characters in movies is detrimental to women's roles throughout film? I mean, I don't really see the need for me to choose either because I feel like I can enjoy movies or TV shows or whatever that have women of like all different like facets. Um, I mean, I think, although it's not a movie, like, Game of Thrones is a good, really good example, because I think you have, like, a whole, like, variety of women who have, like, different motives and act in different ways, but I think are all very interesting in what they do, but, like, yeah, of course I love dynamic roles where you can see these, like, really interesting, like, flawed characters and, like, see, like, you know, how they go about their lives and how they change and all of this stuff. But at the same time, like, I want to watch movies like Atomic Blonde where I just see a woman, like, yes. kick someone's fucking ass. Like, and I don't really see the need to choose either because I find enjoyment in both of them. Cool. Okay. Christine. I think Atomic Blonde was a great example of a somewhat one-dimensional, strong female character. The movie tries to gives her some complexity, but is just extremely satisfying to watch 
like Charlie Theron's character oh, yeah. would just like kick everyone's ass and look great at the same time doing it. Uh, yeah, I would agree with Tori that different female characters fulfill different responsibility or not. I'll take that language back. Nobody's fulfilling any responsibilities. Different female characters are doing different things. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing more female roles as leads is important. And, like, I know there are, like, a bunch of different, like, tests and ways you can, like, figure out if a movie is, like, feminist or not and stuff. But, like, I don't know. I just feel like if I'm finding enjoyment out of something that I'm not necessarily going to question some of that stuff all the time. And I think that's okay. Yeah. I <clears throat> Something that I actually was thinking about in returning back to Testament of Youth was something I was reading is uh, the uh, response to other female characters in the movie um, and what some writers argued was an underutilized, uh, their underutilized presence. You have the mother, which um, Keith Erlrich says was an underdeveloped character, and you had the teacher, I think played by Miranda Richardson, also touches on like a potentially interesting character and their interesting relationship but I wanted to hear from you all and and, uh hear your opinions about did you see what were the relationships like between women in throughout the movie you've got this very um would you argue Vera is a dynamic character could I call her dynamic yes okay so you have this you have this dynamic character and the story is really focused a lot on her, but what are her relationships like with the other female characters in the movie? Um, I would say that's a hard question to answer because of her lack of exposure to women. Um, I think that because she grows up with only um, her brother and her best friend, Mm. she might have other folks that like maybe are in the neighborhood or her family knows. And she has her mother and she also has her aunt who becomes her chaperone. Um, I know, which was just like, she's sort of the comedic relief. She is. Is her role actually chaperone? Yeah. Yeah. And like Kit Harrington and her try to like steal away Uh, to like kiss mm -hmm. and she catches them. Poetry in the, in the thrush. Oh, it's so room with a view. Yeah. Oh, yes. But but what I will say is that her relationship to Haley Atwell's character is fascinating because she really like looks up to her and Haley Atwell takes her under her wing and creates a great nurse who um whose number one goal is to help people regardless of what side they're fighting for. However, there's a scene at the end where Vera goes back to school and she has this um, classmate who she's been paired with and she has no time for this woman. Absolutely no time. Vera's very much dealing with the loss of her fiance, her brother, and her best friend because they do all die. Um, And she's like, no one understands the pain that I'm in. You with your frivolous dances and you with being happy. You with being blonde. You with being blonde. You don't understand my pain. And there's a scene where she's actually like physically ill because she's so depressed. She collapses like in the hallway. She does. And her classmate is there and picks her up and says, I serve too. And it changes Vera's mind completely because she's like, wow, you're right. Other people have had these experiences. So I do think in a way that maybe some relationships were underdeveloped, but I think they serve a purpose for being so. I think this movie has a lot of great kernels 
as it goes along. But with Ailey, Haley Atwell's nurse character, they, I think they're only in two scenes together because it just comes so late in the movie and they just kind of have to get going to when the war ends. And then even once we catch up to the flashback, then that's when she goes back to school. Like 1918, I guess 1919 is roughly when the movie ends. Um, so it feels like it's rushing. Yeah, and I, and that it, I actually wrote down the quote. The one quote I wrote from the movie was what her friend says once she kind of like picks her up gets her to her bed. Uh, I guess she's been trying to like be her nurse and Alicia Vikander's not having any of it. Yeah. Cause she brings her a stack of books and it's like, Oh Vera, have you read the books before? And she just like, doesn't even look at her. And then she says, all of us are surrounded by ghosts. Now, yes. now we have to live with them, mm-hmm. which I think is the core theme of what Vera's trying to learn. It's just like a shame that it came from a character who talked to her three times in the movie. Like it'd be, I know it might not be true to the memoir, but if that was a character that we saw her interacting with in Somerville before, mm-hmm. or some kind of, I just feel like, and with the nurse and the, not the, why do I keep saying nurse character, <laughs> with the professor character, um, he, she meets her as like, oh, you're not going to pass your exams. Well, then she kind of passes her exams, but she likes her spunky attitude and her commitment to wanting to learn. And then she goes up to her like two scenes later. She's like, oh, I really, I need to leave to be a nurse. Okay. And then she runs into her at the end of the movie. It's like, oh, you're back. Well, we're reading Chaucer. You better catch up. So I wish, like, there's the kernels of all these different types of interactions that she can have, but I feel like they're quickly gone through. And I would have loved just, like, more time to spend with Vera and her worldview of, I am a feminist. I am, she's, you know, they, they uh, the boys mockingly call her, oh, you're going to be a suffragette, aren't you? And kind of, like, stuff like that. So I would love to see her worldview in the beginning be challenged by other characters instead of the setting or kind of the plot of what's happening. If that makes sense. I would be interested too. And like, I guess, cause I think Christine brought this up and I know you guys talked about it a little bit, just like what makes a, I guess, successful war movie. Like, what do you need for that? Um, because immediately, like, with one of the reviews you talked about, you said, like, how one person criticized how there wasn't a lot of, like, graphic, like, war, like, um, like scenes shown in the movie. And immediately my head went to, like, Saving Private Ryan, like, that very, very iconic scene on the beaches and things like that. So I guess, like, I'm wondering in general, like, what people think makes, like, a successful war movie and, like, what movies have actually done that, I guess, in our opinion. Which might be, like, a totally different episode, but I just think that's, like, a really interesting thing to talk about here, too. It's kind of interesting that the movie I'm about to bring up has literally no female characters in it, uh, but it's Dunkirk, which I was extremely surprised that I really liked it. I want to see Dunkirk so bad. I really loved it, um, yeah. I thought that there were criticisms criticisms of it um, in that you, the viewer didn't get a lot of context about um, like what was going on in the larger scene in World War II um, during this retreat when really you're just thrown in through this movie um, into the stories of a few, just bunch of young guys trying to survive um they're not instances of like large-scale valor 
or, or order. There's no order. The whole idea of this retreat was that it was chaos and everyone's trying to get off the beach as quickly as possible. I remember. And I, I saw it. Yeah. Someone was saying it was propaganda when I went to go see it. They're like, oh, this is war propaganda. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? It, it, that is not what I got I from I thought that it was one all. of the best movies to communicate the senselessness and, and chaotic yeah. nature of war where you just have a bunch of people trying to find any ways of being getting lucky and for and surviving because mm-hmm. it was essentially just moments of luck where they survive and i bring that movie up to suggest that i think that there are still ongoing arguments about what makes a successful war movie and in my standpoint or from my standpoint watching dunkirk really i thought helped convey a feeling i have about war is that there isn't a lot of mean or there's a lot of organization around it um it's this sort of very intense and sad sort of primal story of survival without this sort of grandeur and rhetoric around winners and losers and good and evil and and things like that um and again that movie (laughs) has no female characters so it doesn't really um illuminate any aspects uh of well, I like, think you brought up the great previous point discussions of, about dynamic female war characters. Sorry but, to interrupt. No, go ahead. Uh, kind of bouncing off of that, I think I agree that we didn't need to see the grandeur of war because they definitely do talk about a lot of how oh it'll be over by Christmas, it'll be over by the, and this is something that was said a lot by every family I'm sure in England mm-hmm. during that time. Um, but the only and I think the AV Club review brought up how it feels like instead of showing battles, kind of like feels like a little cheap in a way they use like the same and i don't know if it's just me being like a cynical person but they use like the same trench all the time and the same kind of like 20 extras with the helmets on um in the trenches and we hear a lot about how violent and senseless it is and we see the death toll and then for me it wasn't really until we get to france near the front where we see all those bodies dead wounded amputees and I think this is when we're going to bring up how Kit Harrington dies. He dies about halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. And then it's just told in sort of like a letter, like a, an announcement, like basically like a telegram of sorts. Uh, quick and painless death is what it says. When ultimately, it and not. she, it was not, he gets shot in the gut while Ugh. trying to mend by a sniper, while trying to mend barbed wire on the trench because he volunteered mm-hmm. um, to do that. Cause somebody had to do it. And, and they, she finds out the day they were supposed to get married. Mm hmm. Like Christmas Day or... Yep. So, yeah, she gets a phone call about it. And I just feel like Kit Harrington was supposed... He's on the cover. He gets second billing. And I really feel like if we showed scenes of why he is that person who will step up, because for me, the only time I saw him as the person who is going to step up is when he says, oh, I'm going to sign up because all my friends are signing up. It's, what, it's my duty. I'm going to the front because it's my duty. But it's not his movie. I know, but I just... But if you got second billing, like... And if this movie's trying to be a love story, I never... Is it? Is it? I think in the beginning... That's how it's advertised, also. Well, that's an interesting argument. How they were trying to get people to watch the movie versus versus what the point of the movie is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a whole other... (laughs) What I felt like the movie was trying to do was pull the rug out from under viewers, just like the rugs being pulled out from um, Vera... Of like, oh, these people are dying. There's, it's just this senselessness. But I, it just felt, and the AV Club review also brought up how uh, it was sterile. How that person felt like the movie was kind of sterile. And I kind of agree with that sentiment in some parts. Because it was just like, 
not really stylized in a lot of ways. There's some weird edits, and I never got that feeling of the rugs being pulled out from, <gasps> like, he's dead. Like, I never felt that kind of, like, catharsis. Not very catharsis, but Like, this, that guttural, that like, guttural. Ooh. Like, the only time was that crane shot where I felt sort of any kind of gut punch mm. throughout the movie. And in the beginning, it definitely sets up this idea that, oh, like, she loves him, and he's a writer, and his mother's like her because she's a suffragette powerful woman in his life who actually runs the finances of the family which is like a big mm -hmm. to do and i just never like kit harrington kind of like disappears but do you think that the trauma of war can be communicated th through responses uh, or, or through the perspectives of people who aren't necessarily in the trenches i would hope that a war film can communicate that sense of loss and and trauma and um that some like the idea of experiencing um, PTSD without necessarily yeah. having been literally in the muddy tr trenches on the front lines. But I think there probably needs to be a balance of that also to fully experience it. Um, I just, that's what the movie was definitely trying to go for. And just for me, I didn't feel like it hit those highs of what it was trying to do. Like she goes to France to be close to her brother and all this time, it's like, oh, I can't go this, I can't do this, I can't be there because I'm over here, I'm being moved. And then she finds him almost dead and saves his life. And I just feel like that there were moments of her... Wait, so Vera say She does. She so does. She, Vera and Edward. her husband. And Edward. Is this her, or her brother? brother? Her brother. Uh, her brother. They have a moment they where do. she is trying to... They do. And there's something I want to say here um, about her brother. I think her brother is the best relationship that she has in the film. It's the strongest and, um, right, um, it's the strongest and definitely the most heartbreaking loss. And I think that um, she convinces her father to let her brother sign up for the war. Um, and she's the one who heals him and he goes off to fight in Italy where he dies. So she feels really responsible. And Connor, I want to push back a little bit on how hard you're hitting this movie. Not only because I love it so much, but also because I think something we're forgetting is that this is not a movie that was crafted by the minds of someone who was creating a love story, who's trying to create a war movie. This is a movie based on a real person's life. And I think a lot of the movie is trying to convey to you how quickly things are happening for this one woman who's experiencing all of these new things at once. Um, which is hard to do, and I think your criticisms are definitely valid. But I, I do want to re re um, remember that this is a real person's life. And something you said that has been, I've been chewing on it a little bit, is how it drops off her wanting to be a writer. But isn't that what depression does? When you are going through that, don't you lose like all your hopes and all your... like. Uh, the things, your hobbies, the things that you love to do. Like, I felt like I could visibly connect and relate to Vera while she was going through these things. And I felt like that was actually, like, she wasn't writing anymore. And the minute she starts, when she reflects and writes her memoir, is where she gets her voice back. Because she's now dealing with all the emotions that the war brought out. I mean, think about it. Losing your fiancé, losing your brother, your brother and losing your best friend after you had also uh, proposed to him in a really dramatic way, in a way that she probably felt guilty towards as well. Um, so thank you so much for this really great conversation. Um, something I do want to bring up about this movie and something none of us actually hit on is the lack of diversity in this film is startling. There is not one person of color in this film whatsoever. Uh, when I watched it in, pre in preparation for this, um, there was no one. The darkest 
Was that person. surprising to you? Um, it was. The darkest person was Vera, right? And she's like Swedish or something. So like that's not saying much. Um, and it's really disappointing to me because um, people can't use the argument. Well, it's not historically accurate because that's just an excuse for racism and how racism is continued on the silver screen. So I was really disappointed with that. Actually, I was really angry at the movie with that. Um, and because of that, I want to suggest some films that I think that do represent people of color and their struggle with war because guess what? They were in war. They were in the Civil War. They were in World War One. They were in World War II. Um, every, every war. They were in every war. And, and depressingly, like there's not many movies I can recommend. So um, I would recommend Red Tails. It's great. I love it a lot. I would also recommend Mudbound. Mm. Um, Mary J. Blige just was like nominated for, um, and she might have won for this uh, movie, but this movie tackles a person of color returning home from World War II, um, turning back to the South, being a veteran and dealing with the fact that that means shit when it comes to being black in America. So... Those are movies I would recommend. Um, and depressingly, I found not one about black or uh, black women or other women of color throughout war, um, which was really startling to me because of like Japanese internment camps and everything else. So um, that is one con of this movie. I will give it. So um, to kind of wrap this episode up and to be done with our underrated favorites. Um, I have a whiteboard question for my friends. So just to give some context to this, the whiteboard question is, um, um, so the whiteboard question is, uh, the place that we all work together has a whiteboard and to break up the monotony of the day, sometimes we write a question up there for all of us to kind of answer and have fun. So my whiteboard question for all of you today is, what fictional character do you think you are most like or influences you the most? Well, Dave here. I've said it before and I'll say it again. George Costanza. <laughs> uh, not, not in terms of being like, I hope. But, I, I uh, don't think so. <laughs> in terms of instructionally informing me of uh, better ways to, uh, to not behave. What not to do. <laughs> Summer of George. Which, I mean, he does try inverting his whole personality yeah. in an episode, and it works out advantageously for him. Uh, I don't know that I would recommend that either. But, yeah, I've learned a lot from George. Um, I can go. I mean, one, one character I feel like I relate to a lot is um, Daria, but also I'm so not as cool as her. But um, <laughs> I would argue you are. No. <laughs> but, like, just the, like, I don't know, like, kind of apathetic, moody, also, like, reader, like, I'm quiet type person, just making sarcastic comments in the background. I feel real hard. Um, but I feel like there's definitely a lot of Ben Wyatt sprinkled in that, too, where I'm just a very <laughs> awkward human being. So it's like all of these things kind of living in the same weird flesh uh, prison that I am in right now. Yeah. My answer is so uninspired, but I wish I had a better one. When I was a kid, the character that I really, really wanted to be was Basil of Baker Street, the Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> oh, Christine, you never uh, disappoint. You really don't. I, oh, my God. This, this character, he had all the best gadgets. Um, he could solve any crime. 
Catching Radigan. I, it's a movie I absolutely loved and wished that I could be a part of. I feel of. like that is 100% not a generic answer. No. <laughs> right? I, I just We were talking answer. about strong, dynamic like, female uh, characters. Basil. Like, pick up Detective Mouse. <laughs> I really wish I didn't have to follow Christine again, like the first episode of Religion <laughs> and Zoolander 2. Um, it was so good. But I was kind of bouncing back and forth between Mr. Peanut Butter from BoJack Horseman and Ron Weasley. Oh. Um, God, I see Mr. Peanut Butter so hard. Oh. My spirit animal is like a, a golden retriever or a lab of some sort. It's like super energetic, super hyper. But also, like, I'm not a Harry Potter. I feel like I'm more like a Ron Weasley. And that's okay. It's great. Good we for you, man. In the world. So those are my two answers. It's not just the ginger thing. It's not just the ginger. Okay. <laughs> great. It's a little bit that. Okay, fair. Um, and to close this out, I will say that mine is a combination of two uh, very different but similar characters. One is Sabrina Spellman from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, <laughs> and the other is Salem Saberhagen, also from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Quirky and sarcastic. That's me. Wait, what is her last name again? Spellman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are they, they really are they for bringing it. that show back? Yeah, but they're doing, like, dark Sabrina, and I'm not here for it. I think it could be good. Is it the same actress? <laughs> no. It's the, the daughter from... <laughs> Sabrina the, the Middle-Aged Witch. The daughter from Mad Men. Oh. It's like a spinoff of me. Riverdale. How That's like a dark oh, like Archie Riverdale. Co- yeah, it's fine. But I just love the original so much that like, I don't want it. I really want to see Sabrina the Middle-Aged Witch. <laughs> Melissa yeah, Joan Hart now. No, she's just like, like oh, I'm in bed. I don't Wicks fucking want to make like lunch for my kids. Just like <laughs> have like brown bags like materialize out of nowhere. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you so much for your discussion of Testament of Youth. Um, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Good yeah, discussion. Sure, sure, sure. We'll be back with a different thing, I guess. Yeah. Next time. Tune in next time. Bye. Bow, bow, bow.